if we weren't finding it, we were just going to make it for ourselves, right? And this is your own personal call to action. We have our families, and I have four now, and she's got three, and like we're just going to do it because someone has to. And that that little little um, pinging inside of all of us, like just go out and do it. Like jump, the net will appear. Go. Hey everyone, we're here on the Founder Hour with Pat and Posh, and we're lucky to be at the Honest Company today with Christopher Gavigan, who is the, one of the co-founders of the Honest Company. So Christopher, thank you for having us here at your beautiful offices out in Playa Vista. Yeah, thanks for coming over. I appreciate that. Do you go by Chris or Christopher? Christopher, thank you for asking. A lot of people don't ask, okay. and when they say Chris, I'm like, wait, that's not my I name. I never said that. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not that close yet. Exactly. <laughs> we haven't made it there yet. Yeah. You'll never make it there yet. No one calls me Chris, <laughs> except my mom. <laughs> so, Chris, have you? Well, I, already, you I already messed we, up. We are that close. Uh, Christopher, did you grow up in LA? No, I grew up on the East Coast, New York, and Connecticut, and uh, made my way out here to uh, Southern California when I was 19 and did my, started my undergrad career at Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. What was life like out in the East Coast? East Coast was great in the sense that I, I really grew up with a level of uh, traditional family values that were highly prized around family, around church and faith, around hard work. Mm-hmm. My father was a uh, consummate professional when he worked and went, but he he almost it's that whole phrase of work uh, work smarter not harder. Right. He Love that. was the work harder not mm-hmm. smarter, mm-hmm. and almost overworked himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I truly saw the value of you've got to grind it. And a lot of people don't see the hard work that makes successful success look easy. And, uh, and he was someone who was nose to the grindstone and commitment and, um, this idea that you needed to do your part, like what's you find your, find your path, find your value, find your duty and do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you brought up a few good things, but a lot of a lot of the folks that listen to our podcast always ask us about, you know, how did, like, sure, you know, they're successful now and, you know, the companies that they built and the movements that they built are successful. But, you know, when you're in your early 20s, you know, mid 20s, you're still trying to figure it all out. When did you find what your purpose was? I always had a inclination to focus more on the environmental colliding with the human and how that interaction and how that intimate connection um, certainly based on logic, but certainly based on this idea that we're drawn to what is natural and what mm-hmm. is um, healthful yeah. and, and how do you unite those two in interesting ways. And so my grandfather was a, uh, a health nut. Uh, we lived in the beautiful uh, rural area in Connecticut. And so there was this river out front and I was always drawn to that. And, um, the stewardship and the the ecological life sciences of that. And then I wanted to commit my um, undergrad studies to environmental sciences. Mm-hmm. So that's why I came out to University of California, Santa Barbara, because they had the eld- oldest and uh, most established and best uh, program in the country. And so did that. And it was there that I saw that collision very um, concretely with the data, with the science on how the environment, so the things that surround us, not necessarily what's out there in the world of the woods and the oceans and the mountains, but the things that are intimately in our own environments, so our homes and how we caretake our bodies and how that 
really impacts health. And I think mm -hmm. that collision is not discussed at all. I know it's not discussed at all in medicine and traditional academia when someone's going through their, their residency, but um, it's really not talked about from a, uh, a thought leadership perspective that much. And then you unpack the data that's being done in research mm -hmm. and at the bench and shows how the vulnerability of the body is so unique to these things that we put in on and around our lives and 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 how truly we're all vulnerable but right. vulnerable populations like pregnant women and children under the age of 10 um, how how they need to ca be care taken care of and 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 what needs to be done for them. So mm -hmm. I yeah. was so so passionate and so excited about that. And this that. was when you were like a teen? No, so it was when it, it, that it, that collision piece and that uh, health meets human, excuse me, environmental health meets human health really happened in my early 20s. So you're in your early 20s, you're interested in this kind of environmental science space. Um, coming out to college here, what was kind of the vision that you had in mind? Did you, did you think that you would eventually become like an entrepreneur and have your own company? Or was it more so, I'm just going to, take this route and see where it goes? It's a good question. And I, I try to recall the best that I can. Um, but I always wanted to be successful. And I always wanted to drive a level of impact that was personal, that really felt meaningful to me. Mm. Um, and so I, unpacking that, I, I, I don't really know if there was, it was that conscious mm -hmm. as much as it was, it was just instinctual. And sometimes I think people get in their own way and they overthink it. Like, what do you want to do and why do you like it? And go for it. And, uh, and, and that's how that was. It, was. it was something I was passionate about. And something that it was an impact play. The Honest Company is an impact play. The, the work I was doing on the nonprofit side was how do I create impact? How do I get people to mm -hmm. sit up and listen? Yeah. And, um, and that's what excited me. Because going back to my father, that, that idea that if he always said that if you can manage a relationship, you can do whatever you want in the world. Right, business, family, like humanity, for yourself, like manage it and be good at it and focus on that, and then the other stuff will take care of itself. You brought up, you know, the word, or you said that you want to be six. You always want to be successful. Yeah. But everyone seems to be defining success in a different way. Right. You know, what did Christopher Gaff Gavigan, or even not only them, but how do you define success even now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that success for me goes back to the emotion and the meaning and the thoughtfulness and and getting people to be be more conscious in how they caretake their lives caretake for their homes and their mm -hmm. lives and their families um, because your health is your wealth right and if yeah. you don't have that you really don't have anything and you're going to be sacrificing um, a lot of just what it means to be a human being if you if you can't get out of bed and, right. and feel clear-headed and have good people surrounding you. So I would say that um, success for me means to, to really empower people to live their um, their best lives. Hmm. And that gets me excited about um, what I do every day. So kind of recalling back when you, you were in your like maybe early teens and you know you mentioned your grandfather was like really health nut. Um, was there like a moment where I know when you grow up around certain things that, you know, your parents teach, sometimes yeah. it becomes like you, you, students, like I mean, students, kids rebel against that. Yeah. It's like, it's so much like they just trying to like shove it down your throat or it's like, I don't yeah. want to hear about this anymore. But it sounds like you were very much into it. Was there like something that you experienced yourself where um, you're like, yeah, this is real and I want to commit my life to this. 
so speaking of that river and speaking of um, family, there was a, there was a watershed moment when I was um, in my mid-teens that, so we live in Connecticut and four boys in my family, I'm number three and my father's got, you know, got a beautiful piece of property and grass out front, but the grass rolled up into the front of the creek and my father like wanted to have the, this, he grew up on the East Coast as well and wanted to have this beautiful palatial lawn and green and lush and gorgeous and as he should he should have that if he wants that but he brought in a um a company called Chemlon. i can't can't even tell you if they're still in existence but it's essentially a large truck full of fertilizer and pesticides insecticides and whatever they had in this mixture and they would spray your lawn and within literally within like 48 hours your lawn transformed into the deepest darkest most lush green lawn you've ever well, seen well magic it was magic. And I remember being shocked by that and then going down to the river those two days later and literally dead fish mm. just floating in that river. And I was like, wait, how is that possible? What happened? And and there was there was no one wanted to talk about it, but I was like, hey, this is not okay. Something right. happened. And that pitch of that of that um slope and the rain and that those chemicals were just washed right into that little river and killed those fish. So Big moment, big yeah. moment, uh, and uh, it, it, it and again it, it went back to this idea that our decisions, even the smallest ones, and the most in the most um, the ones that you feel like aren't going to be the the biggest ones, sometimes have the biggest impression on those. Right. Around. You just think, oh, that's just the way it is, or this isn't going to do much, or it's just kind of like you don't even think much of it. It's just like I'm going to do it because I'm so used to it. Yeah, it's, it's the whole you know. John Deere quote, of, right? Everything's interconnected and you mm-hmm, can't mm-hmm. touch one thing without touching another. While you were in college, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do besides being in this space? Yeah. When I when I got into the education space um, in college and started doing those, um, those double clicks into how do people receive information? So the what is incredibly important, the data, the science, the evidence, and and then how do people take that in and behavioral change over time? I really love that interplay. Mm -hmm. What's the tone? What's the personality? What's the essence of the message and who's giving it? And how do you give it in a trustworthy Mm -hmm. and um, uh, simplistic fashion? I love that, that connectivity there. And so that's, uh, that's how and why and what the, um, you know, a lot of my career has been focused on that space Mm -hmm. is, is that data to translation side. Mm-hmm. Of the of the of the effort, so uh, you you graduate college uh, undergrad. Uh, do you end up working anywhere, or do you go straight into? I know you you also went to grad school. Um, yep. and study behavioral psychology. Is that yep. right? That's right. Uh, what was what happened? So I, I I worked in um, up in the school district up in Northern California, which essentially was bringing kids in from the San Joaquin Valley and brought them over the mountains of Santa Cruz mountains and brought them to the coast and the, and the redwoods up there. Beautiful. I mean, one of the most beautiful places in on earth and here, these kids bright eyed and fifth graders and never seen the mountains and the, the, that lush environment. But these children are also from agribusiness and, and of heavy, industrialized area and so they were their systems were onslaught continually with these industrials and synthetic pesticides and insecticides and the the the, what it takes to grow um at at a mass scale so it wasn't organic farmland Mm -hmm. and um these kids they were sick 
a lot of them had uh, learning delays, a lot of asthmatics, a lot of skin irritation, and th- this these small little populations of kids every week, I was just horrified by that. Mm. And so um, I decided to go back to school, get my master's, and, and and do the work that it takes to, again, bring that the data and the relationship together. Um, it was really a call to action moment for me in my early career was I needed to do something because if the, these kids were their own Petri dish, mm-hmm. what, what were other kids going through? And you were, you're colliding with this idea that you're in your mid-20s and I want to have a family and I don't want my kids to be sick mm-hmm. or ill or be harmed. And what do I do to prevent that? And what do I do to caretake my own life? Um, as a father, as a and as a as a as a person who is um, wants to be a responsible party in it all. While you were in college, I mean, did you have any jobs or internships or anything that now looking back, you know, helped you better understand the working world and you know how what you were learning came to you know actual real life practice? Yeah, I was uh, I was one of the people that would call up alumni. And this is at UCSB. At UCSB and solicit funds, <laughs> right? And so you've got a, you're picking up the phone, you're cold calling someone right. in their day, and this is 94, 95, right. and so you don't have a cell phone, so you're right. calling someone at night. Yeah, at home. So it's uncool. Mm-hmm. But how do you how do you get them to listen and right. like perk up? And you're essentially pitching this institution that they were at 10, 20, 30 years ago. Right. And I always, my lean in, and essentially I went from like number 40 on the list to number one. I I used to dominate and they used to give me all the big donors because I was so good at it. But I was just go into my story immediately. Why I was there, why I cared, why I love this campus, what what I was doing, how I was struggling. And uh, and people loved it and they would give money. And um, it really, really was a big, big driver to this awareness that your chosen word and and how you emote and how you have a connectivity of relationship right. and the words that you choose are yep. so important. It was it was a big deal. Speaking of that, you you know when you started your question examples off, you started with why, which is like Simon Sinek's will start with why thing. Where yeah, yeah. a lot of brands these days, I mean, something that we always talk about is like really what is the purpose, and and yeah. and that always is a, is a why question, yeah. right? So um, I guess in, in you know at that at that stage, besides you know kind of seeing that people were engaged with your story and and wanting to hear about that, was there any other thing that you think made you a successful cold caller? Um, I would say that the, for me, the, 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 the purpose piece was going into this idea that I, I think people often put a lot too much gloss and too much veneer on what they're talking about. And I think you need a romance, but you also just need to drive down to the gritty truth. And the gritty truth for me at that time was I was living in a Volkswagen van on the cliffs of Santa Barbara, trying to make my way because I was paying for my entire collegiate career. And I needed to really, really, it was a struggle. There was some dark days. Like I would go to the ATM and it was literally under $20 to take out. So I couldn't get the $20 bill. Yeah. And, um, and and I didn't go that deep and that, that dark, but um, I felt like 
when I would when I would storytell around me or and I wouldn't tell the same old story because that's something I, I even to this day and I challenge myself when I work with staff here at the Honest Company or have these interviews like this I I, I never want like a three or four phraseology that he, I've said that before and he says it again like I like to keep myself interested and so um, I think that the I think people in, in a brand world and a human world people really need to say hey this is the real deal i'm transparent i'm open i'm i want to show you the my pimples and i want to show you what's not good about me because but i want you to know that i'm going to try to get better and um i would say that about the campus like the campus is not perfect like we've x y and z going on here but we're we're working on it Mm -hmm. and i think people appreciate it and i think that's very important in this day and age especially with just social media in general where you're trying to be a version of you that you're not. Yeah, and so what that does is it leads to other people's, you know, perceptions of you being, you know, fake and false and it causes, you know, mental health. It just causes, you know, a flurry of different things. But, I mean, what do you think, you know, why do you think that is, number one, and how do you think we could change that? I, I, I We can have a whole, another hour <laughs> yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. about that because yeah, I'm yeah. so in agreement with you. It's this, you are showing your A++ moment of right. your day or yeah. your week. And we all come to it. Like I was looking at my feed the other day, and I, I happened to um, be on Instagram. I was like, "Wait, I like this is not. I, it's not all this good, yeah. right? There's like ten percent." Yeah, but but you bring out the camera when the good moments are happening. Right. You don't take it when it's no. shitty, and so you're just mm-hmm. you. And, and look, the divide, the world of the device and the addiction, and addictive nature of it. Um, I I am I struggle with it because I I, I bemoan it, but it's a tool. And so I think we need to do a better job, and I appreciate Apple and their their new technological <laughs> yeah. updates. And they we need to do a better top job of having the conversation and teaching our children and and putting restrictions on ourselves and the, these devices and and really taking these sabbaticals of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I, I I support that commentary a hundred percent and believe in, it's important to talk about. And that's part of the reason that Pat and I you know started this you know one of many reasons, but it was. Because a lot of times, you know, founders or, you know, creators and CEOs are really romanticized. Like, oh, they must, you know, have it all. They must be doing everything right. Uh, Oh, they went out and raised hundreds of millions of dollars. But a lot of people, including ourselves, didn't really understand, you know, the struggles and the difficulties and the challenges of, you know, starting something up, you know, creating a business, creating a movement out of an idea. And so that's why, you know, we began, you know, this podcast was to really Talk about the raw stories, you know, Mm -hmm. sit down face to face and see what the struggles of these folks were so that others that are listening can be like, oh, I guess it is going to be challenging. There are going to be tough days, but here is what can become of it. And, you know, clearly for you and a lot of the other folks that we've sat down with, we've seen the successes. But I think now even more so, you know, we've been getting feedback of, oh, we want to hear about what what went wrong, like what their struggle, how they started up. So I guess based on that point. How did you, you know, start working in this space? You know, what did you do? How did you start making money? How, was that something that motivated you? Yeah, I. So I'll, I'll I'll do a little bit of backstory, which has been somewhat documented. But this idea that I was at this nonprofit was working at this place for um, that was close, family first, close to seven years. No, this is Healthy Child, Healthy World, and here's this nonprofit that is an educational awareness content engine to teach so to gather the data and the science out of academia 
disseminate that, popularize that, make it more concise so that people could take action steps in their lives to help prevent some of these toxic or, or threatening or questionable exposures in everyday products. So mm -hmm. things that are sitting on store shelves you might think are safe, but there's no regulatory body necessarily preventing from certain toxicants or poisons being in those products. And so how do you restrict or how, how do you manage this reality? It's just a reality. Mm -hmm. Um, so we didn't, we, we didn't sell anything besides we, we tried to raise money for these campaigns, worked with WebND and worked with great retail partners. Um, and the, the work there was, was entirely hard because ultimately, and this is what brought my business partner, Jessica Alva and I together was this idea that every parent, especially the mom would say, okay, you've alerted me, you've scared me to death. And I'm in this hyper-aware, hyper-attentive time and space. Tell me what to buy. Like, please, hold my hand. Do the like, You've done the research. Just tell, navigate this marketplace. Right. And, and that frustrated me because I would dot people around the globe and or I would go inside the bowels of some of these brands and it was dark days. Not having a level of regulatory mm -hmm. um, compliance on their on their products and their formulations. But really, if you looked at some of these, the formulation sciences, science of these products, it was um, incredibly, incredibly sketchy. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole class of, for instance, fragrance that doesn't have to be labeled. So you have no idea what's inside. Mm -hmm. And so you're really putting questionable ingredients on, on children. Um, and that frustrated me. And so... Were you a dad at this point? I had just become a dad um, when Jessica and I had met. And so at, this was at my book launch party, in fact. Which your book was actually called Healthy, Healthy, Healthy Child, Child, Healthy, Healthy World, World. Same too. name. Yeah. Creating a cleaner, greener, safer And was home. that part of like just in connection that was part, with the was There was another piece of content that right. this organization right. would put out. Yeah. So I wrote on behalf of the organization as the author and um, and... And her plea and request was not unlike thousands I've heard before. Mm -hmm. um, she was certainly impassioned to do something about it. And she had a platform and a voice and a position in the world that she said, I'm going to do it. And I would love to do it with you. And let's do this together. And what do you want to do? So the conversations collided and right. ignited in a very unique and um, uh, a great time, um, capturing time in a great way. But I would say that the... Um, the the challenge early days was getting people to believe that we can do as much as we wanted to fight off. No, we want to be a trust platform. It's not about one product or mm -hmm. it's not about one ingredient. It's this is about holistic point of view in the world, and we're going to hold true to that. And it was not fun early days. Yeah. People did not want to give us money because we were trying to raise a small round. People that people could, didn't believe that we could build to this range of of um spec yeah. and standard and um and again you have you have nothing to show for it besides your background and your your word and your vision on this brand and without sales again early days founder it's dark days and it was yeah. dark times um and there was a couple times that we wanted to quit for sure um what kept you going uh Um, I think this, I think the idea of, 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 I, you've got to believe a little bit and you've got to, you got to believe a lot, but you got to believe a little bit that, um, and you got to be audacious enough and, and, and kind of bullish enough to think that you're going to 
do it no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so when people said no, it yeah. pissed me off. Yeah. And that it, was my next question was, were you ever pissed off? Because oh, I would be pissed off. sure. <laughs> I was like, okay, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't need to spit out another deck for you. You just don't get it. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go on to the next person and mm-hmm. maybe he or she might get it. Because mm-hmm. you, I mean, you could have very easily, when you came across this problem of like, you know, you mentioned um, parents saying like, tell me what to buy, right? Like, you, you mentioned, well, this problem that you saw, you could have easily gone and created like a blog and found, you know, the healthiest products out there and yeah. recommended it. But you were like, no, I'm going to create the company myself and create the products myself. Yeah. Um, and so you were, you were already shooting big from the beginning, right? And yeah. so that's something that, you yeah. know, People, I feel like maybe uh, come up short in sometimes is the idea phase is like how big can can I go? So, did do you have anything to any thoughts there? Like yeah, I, 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 I still think the it's it's matching matching your reality with your audacious vision and your north star and and it was it was a it was look we call ourselves the honest company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't call ourselves honest or something company. Like we inserted honest inside. So it is like a massive mm. um, poke at the marketplace and a challenge to ourselves. And what is, what is, you define what honest is. You can define what it honest is and um, for a company that is. And, um, and I, I would say that, that, that there was a challenge to ourselves in the fact that we believed that we could, certainly we believe we could do more than we, um, Thought and certainly we believe that the the there needed to be a shift of paradigm in the industry so that we we had to do it. There was and, and a lot of it. If 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 Jessica was in the room, um, she, you know, she would say, and I and I agree with her because we were parents that if we weren't finding it, we were just going to make it for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And this is your own personal call to action. We have our families, and I have four now, and she's got three, and like we're just going to do it because someone has to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that little little um pinging inside of all of us like just go out and do it like jump the net will appear yeah go as a as a co-founder of the honest company i'm sure you know you do a million things but um one kind of formal title you go by is chief purpose officer yeah. tell us how that came about i know a lot of companies don't have that post but <laughs> in this case it makes a lot of sense but i want to hear kind of from you of like what that role kind of encompasses and yeah. how that came about it was um for the first five and a half years i was a chief product officer hmm. So still CPO, just yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, and I, I I firmly believe that product and purpose in this company are one of the same, y- uniquely meshed, and they dovetail beautifully together. And overseeing supply chain and innovation and R and D and and the product ideation to commercialization phase was something that I did um, during those early times. And as you are specializing in bringing experts in the space who know certainly know more than you you and you are building out your own labs and your own headquarters and you're doing a lot of that um uh work over time instead of outsourcing it you grow to realize that you are most and especially as an executive and a a co-founder you need to take the step back and reevaluate and reimagine what you're really doing and how you can have the greatest impact is your head better served down and tactical or across with your people or up and really doing the vision work and doing the standards work and evolving to the place you like where's the puck going type of commentary and i felt that that was going to be my greatest gift and asset and and stimulation for me i really like that i really like the science and um, evangelism piece of this business i really like the 
philanthropic and the community activation and um, the cause element of this business. And I, and I also really like the advocacy and legislation work that we do do and we need to have more of an impact and a, a voice in. And so those are the three buckets that I like to play in and that I do play in as, as chief purpose officer. And because um, there's always work to be done there to get better. Never and, ends. Yeah, it never ends, right? And and like, and yes, I, I drop down and, you know, have one-on-ones with people every day and, and, and really try to um, support the network of, of the business and really try, it, try to be, I like to walk around sometimes the building without a purpose. Early days, I would, people would laugh at me and say like, the guy's always running around the office and I would literally run half fifty percent because I needed to get somewhere, or fifty percent because I needed people to know that we had shit to do, yeah. and we needed to grind and and go quickly. Because I, I firmly believe your first three and a half years, four years, if you are not sprinting as hard as you can, you are not serving your your brand and your vision. So, and that must have been tough. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard, but yeah, it's tough for my wife for sure. Because <laughs> um, like, I mean. And, but early days, honest, you couldn't get people to leave the building before nine o'clock at night. If really? you did, you people were like, where are you going? What's going on? You have something we need to talk about. You just come because people wanted to be here and believe yeah. so much, passionately. And 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 growth and scale and success is addictive. Mm-hmm. As much of a grind as running a company can be, um, you know, I know you're a father of four and and you have a life outside of work. Yeah. Uh, I know you're active on Twitter too, and I and I just saw a tweet. I was like just looking at your tweets today to see if like you know what we can talk about. And um, you you said like just kind of a note to parents is like stay present in your child's presence. It's life's greatest, most complete gift. Yeah. Tell us how you've kind of been able to manage running a massive company like Honest and also being there for your kids and for your family and, and outside of work? It's a great question. It's con- a continual compromise and it's not a balancing act. Like any parent that tells you, oh, I'm, I'm doing it. Now you're, 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 you're never succeeding extremely well, but you, what you are trying to do is when you arrive, like put down the device, be f- like lift your head up, look at your kid in the eye and like make sure that is super quality moments. And again, I have four, and those moments that I have with them, I, and here's the secret that I don't think any, no one's taught me, but I've I've gravitated to it, and I see those that I respect, I see them um, on a parenting level doing it more, that the one-on-one time with the child is probably some of the best time. My, like growing up in my family, it was, we had such limited time with my parents that when we all got together, it was like, no family stays together. Yeah, you have to have that sometimes, but the one-on-one time that I have with my children is probably the most special, most deep, like mo- like most progressively, uh, like keeps the ball moving forward and and about uh, uh, like really creates a depth of relationship that I never knew we could have with a seven-year-old daughter and a ten-year-old son. So I I think that that is one of the great secrets is is quality over quantity and then certainly the one-on-one time really taking advantage of that and taking them on special trips and like tonight my daughter was like what do you want to do it's just me and you tonight i want to get super fancy i want you to wear your glasses and i want to go to benihana like, <laughs> sweet we're doing that and i because i don't wear glasses that often but when she she thinks it's fancy yeah and so i literally bought her like glasses off amazon <laughs> she wears them um so that that's super fun for me super fun Christopher, you mentioned something about, you know, legislation, but 
I don't really want to talk too much about that. Okay. Because <laughs> um, I will be a senator one day. No, I, I can't. I, I mean, it's a great name. Senator, senator Gavigan uh, yeah. sounds like a. So I'm sounds announcing like it here, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, on the way here, Pat and I were talking about you know small problems versus big problems, and you know which one you know is more worth to solve. And I think at the end of the day, they're both worth solving. Is just yeah. more about what you want to do. And I'm more of the solving the bigger issues because I think it impacts more people. And you mentioned that word a few times. I love doing things that are impactful. You know, whether it's in my personal life, my business life, wherever it is, it's yeah. like I want to leave some sort of legacy, have some sort of impact. You know, The Honest Company is something that was born out of your passion, out of Jessica's passion, and you pers- you both pursued that. In the world, you know, what sort of perception does The Honest Company have in the world in the sense of the work that you have done here and the people and the lives that you've impacted? Yeah, I, I, it's a, such a good question because it is... Um, it's my greatest gift and greatest burden mm-hmm. that once you put yourself out there and then you you put yourself out there as, as humbly, as, as um, nice-sized as we have, mm-hmm. the responsibility and your duty grows immensely. Um, and I, I appreciate that because... Um, I appreciate your point of view because it, it, the small versus big and you think about the work you could do at some of these institutional levels mm-hmm. and people have a fundamental distrust of institutions even and, and I, I lump business in there me included yeah, and, yeah right and so uh, uh, yeah I, I, I want to I want to be able to draw people in um, to a level of, of trust and and a level of of, of connection and I think that that, that that takes three things I think it, it takes logic and like data like show me Show me the reason why. I think it takes really, really, really. Um, it comes from a place of like I need to know that you're cracked open and I've got all of you. I don't. I. I won't use the word authentic because I. I think it's overused. But mm-hmm. just a level of consistency of self. And then the third one is you. You need to give me some emotion and empathy that I know that you, that your intention. I. I know why you're doing it and what you're doing, and I know it's it's. At least it's clear to me, mm-hmm. and um, and I think for the honest company, the even just walking walking the building and 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 listening to customers, I mean I, I roll anywhere between ten to fifteen calls a week to customers because after four years I was like God I'm kind of missing their relationship in my world because early days it was I would jump on the phone and write blogs and that was my world and then as you scale you get away from the customer. And so I call people, I like five ups, five downs, and five people that are new, and um, and having that, hey mom in Peoria, Illinois, let's talk. Where would we fail you? We'll we'll let us improve that. Or thank you for that, that those kind words. That stuff is like, that's what what moves me and motivates me every single day. And I'm sure there's so many of those calls that have made an impact on you. But is there one that comes to mind that you know whether it was positive or negative or you know in between that you had to stop and you had to be like, you know, you just, it just got you thinking and perhaps it even motivated you to change the direction or, you know, make some sort of change in the way that things were happening at the Honest Company. Um, God, I, I, without, without bringing up a specific example, I think the ones that we, you, you will, you will, if you don't know this about me, I am an Control enthusiasts, like I, I need things locked down. Yeah. And when we fail people, it really, really gets me. Um, because I think 
in th those hurdles are opportunities for growth and development. And, um, and I want to, I want to be better. I, I really do. And I, and you have to apologize and you have to chew on it and you have to swallow it and you have to let it sink, sink in. Um, and that's why I, I, I continue to want people to know that the, the level of humility and humanity that is, exists in this business is real. Like, and it's important for us to continually demonstrate that every single day. And that's why I call people. And that's why, you know, right now people who are listening to this, email me, Christopher at honest.com. I will respond back. And, um, and that's, I want people to have access in because we're not a big corporation and we're not the, the institution mm -hmm. you distrust. Yeah. Your feet are still on the ground. You right. Can, we, we, yeah. we're, we're here. We want, we want to be here to serve you. That's this, this is a service business. Mm -hmm. Um, so Yeah. I think you're at also a point in your life now where you are, you've had a lot of knowledge and experience in both the nonprofit and the business world. And, you know, I, I would love some takeaways, you know, specifically for the nonprofit world for our listeners, just because, you know, when you go to school and you're in college, you know, you learn about these nonprofits, you hear about them, but it's not sexy enough. Yeah. You know, it, but I think nowadays in the past few years, social entrepreneurship as they've kind of, you know, framed it right. is something that is sexy, is something that a lot of businesses are moving towards. You know, what's your advice to the folks that have a similar passion to the one that you had growing up and pursuing that? You know, what, what are the steps that they should be taking or just normal, regular, everyday things that they should kind of start putting into place to get to where they want to be? It's a good question because I think what we, we need to do in the world of, um, of, of impact and serving others is you need to throw away this construct of the nonprofit. Just that construct alone is it, it, it's secondary. Oh, it's nice to know that you're doing good work. Keep it up. Right. No, no, this is a social enterprise. And I think the shift to believing honest is a social enterprise, healthy child was a social enterprise. We had a specific mission and intent. And yes, we were going to be successful. We needed to make money in order to serve others, to make more money, to serve more people. That, that is a um, self-perpetuating function of anything that is going to thrive. And I think by... I, I would encourage those people who are thinking about where do I go? Do I go NGO or business? They're one and the same. Yeah. They should be anyway. Yeah. And um, and that's and that's what you know. Um, we've said it earlier. Was, is the honest company is unfortunately early days. You have to act as a nonprofit because you have to reach that beautiful point of, of profitability. But you have to you have to engage in such a way that people. Um, I really believe in your mission and the, you know, convince me and, and communicate and contextualize with me. And then, you know, I'll follow you anywhere and, and really build that level of trust with me. And I think that the, those worlds of um, the nonprofit are so similar mm -hmm. um, and, and really need to be held as such. You need to be really good at what you do in the social enterprise world in order to be successful. Well, Christopher, you and Jessica have built an amazing business, and we can't wait to see it grow even more from here. Uh, you know, thanks so much for being on the show and, and sharing your story and uh, being here with us. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you.